You're listening to The Initial Interview with AP. All right, all right. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a bit of a gap. I apologize for that, for our seven subscribers. Just wanted to uh, say it's, we're into a new year and hopefully this new year will be better than last. Having said that, reaching back to the past is always interesting. And our guest today, DC, is somebody from uh, from my past many, many moons ago. And uh, we used to do stand-up together. That's how we kind of met. Uh, DC, go ahead. Say hi. Hello. Yeah, you were on my very first uh, stage that I, I ran the stage, if you remember, at um, something improv. What was it on Queen Street? Oh, that's embarrassing. See, that's it. Three years ago. Yeah. What the heck was it? They did improv and I did the Pro-Am show every Sunday night. And um, you were one of the very first people on that stage a long time ago. I think that was 95. God, was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a while back. I have to laugh, though. Um, I really enjoyed listening to all of the people talking to you on the other podcast so far. And it is funny to think that t- seven people, the worst thing that happened to them in 2020 was AP wasn't on. There's <laughs> 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 your year. Yeah, it was a rough year. I know, man, he didn't come back. But you had people on, including the first guy who you work with, but um, they were all really comfortable. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go on and I'm actually supposedly the professional who can speak. <laughs> I'm going to be just boring and uncomfortable and um, make a mockery of myself. Yeah, I've done a lot of these types of interviews for radio. And um, and then they pause when they think you should be funny. <laughs> which is really awful. Like they'll say something inane and in their mind, you know, they've got like the perfect pun, but they want to leave that moment to you and you're like, that wasn't funny. <laughs> Just let me be funny. I, I, I set you talk. up so you could spike the ball. Exactly. I don't want to spike that ball. It's ugly. All I do is bump. All I do is bump. <laughs> What's that thing you do with the two hands? <laughs> yeah. Back to the other person on your own team. You spike it, damn it. Oh, 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 oh. Did I, can, are you going to bleep that one? No, why? You said damn it. Oh, okay, I'm not, good. I'm not Christian for crying out loud. Just making sure. I, uh, I I say the F-bomb probably more than I should. Now, I once read that uh, intelligent people swear. So I felt good about myself. Which is weird, though, because on stage, though I do swear, I actually write the F-bomb into my show. Literally written in, because it's a powerful, funny, poignant word when used right. I tend not to roll off on F-bombs. Um, and then, funny enough, just about... Uh, Three years ago, I was on stage and realized, man, I'm swearing like a sailor up here. I don't know. I've sort of grown into swearing more than than I originally was. Partly, I think, because I get tired of people saying, oh, he's funny and he didn't have to swear. What what has that got to do with anything? Uh, I guess they're referring to people who are swearing because they're nervous because they're amateurs or they're working on a comedy stage and don't, you know, have 35 minutes and then they have 15 and stuff, which happens a lot so yeah, you were funny, man. You were a funny cat. I used to, I, I've reserved, I liked using uh, curse words, but I tried to, my perspective was the the less you use them, the more powerful they are. 
Exactly. That, that's the exact truth. And I think it's just that in, in my act, I was getting more powerful more often. If that makes any sense. <laughs> you, and, you, you, you watered it down. I, I, see, yeah. it's, it's if I use the, if I use the, the swear word twice in a five minute act, then to me, it was giving it more credence. So if, if, if the total swear words equals 100% and you use 10 of them, then each of them only has a weight of 10%. But if you only use them twice and it's 50% of a punch, that's kind of the perspective I, I had on it. So I always try to save them. It was something like a back pocket type thing. It was way more math than comedy deserves. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the ratio of the laughter based on the quantification of the swear word and combine them with the percentage over X and X being the variant, uh, I was just going to swear. I was just going to say, ah, uh, F it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny, see, when you use the word right. Um, I'm the same, though. I agree. The word loses power. Um if, but funny enough, I was almost, now I'm not saying I was swearing like an amateur on stage where it's effing this and effing that. I very much do not like it used. Uh, I like it as a, as an adjective, as what it is. Um, or I guess a verb or adverb. Oh, I got to go back to school. But, um, I would use it to accentuate the moment no matter what. But I began to use it to somewhat accentuate my character on stage because I actually use the word more off stage than I do on. And uh, it was working though. It was, it was fun. It's just that, um, I, I chose to do it at a time when everyone was becoming sensitive to it. <laughs> and I'm not a shock comic. I've never been a shock comic. I try to be a smart comic from, uh, Ben Gaia said, I think the best intro ever from smart to silly and back to smart or something like that. And I'm like, thank you. I'm going to use that the rest of my life. Well, if Ben Guy had said it. If Ben Guy had said it, it's, it's gotta be seen by at least four people. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Ben. But anyway, so yeah, that, so forget that stuff. This isn't a comedy interview. Yeah. It's just kind of funny. Man. I, I remember you. I, I actually laugh because I always had this impression that you were just like this massive, massive ladies guy when I knew you a long time ago. And I don't remember if you came to the same girl every time and she just kept changing her hair. But I, had <laughs> that I don't know why you got at the stand, but for me, we had gone, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I had gone to a yuck yuck show where they used to do it at a Fox and a fiddle. And uh, the person was doing magic uh, on stage as part of their comedy act. And so they pulled her up, they did a joke and then they pulled, pulled me up and part of the act was to put this straitjacket on him. And he was sweating profusely uh, up there, and then he, he smelled. So as I'm putting the straitjacket on, I made this face of discontent, and the audience started laughing in the front row, right? Because they understood. I think they caught on. So he thought I was making fun of him, so he tried to start burning me. And, uh, and just kind of kept up with him, forgetting that I was even on stage and being at a fox and a fiddle, it didn't really feel like a stage. And so that was, that was easily done and really the audience was entertained. Then he came back afterwards and said, you ever thought of getting in stand-up? And I said, yeah, everyone thinks about it, but getting into it's a whole other ordeal. Well, it's not. I mean, you book a, you call, you get on a line, a list and you wait until you're up and then you make a fool of yourself for 
they say five minutes, but I, I don't know. I don't think I did five minutes for the first three months of stand up. I, uh, I don't think I had five minutes. At least I was smart enough though when I started to not do five minutes if I didn't have it. <laughs> that might be why I'm still there, why I'm still doing it for a living. But well, actually, that's nobody's really doing comedy for a living anymore. But um, so you, he actually. That's funny. I mean, a lot of uh, egos out there would have shot you down further off stage. I've been very upset. So I'm, I'm, when we get off of this, you have to tell me who it is because I have a guess. Um, but uh, so yeah, how did you? I don't know how you found me. I guess I was advertising in Now Magazine or something. But, I, th- uh, I think it was somebody that I had befriended, another amateur at the time said, look, I'm going to be going here. Are you interested? I said, sure, why not? And I can't remember how we coordinated to to be on your show. <laughs> probably said, can I be on? And I probably said, yes. I can't remember. I was but, always looking. But weren't you, there, were there, was there somebody giving out tickets or say, hey, if you want to bring a guest, I can't recall if that, if that maybe happened after. You. No, I never predicated getting on stage with bringing guests. I despised that, that whole idea that you can come on stage if you bring five people and stuff. I sold a show. I like I. They, no, I no, that's not I, what I meant. What yeah, I, oh, okay. Yeah, what I meant was, uh, look, I've got this girl coming. You, oh, yeah. Or or maybe you gave <laughs> tickets out to say, hey, you know what? If if you, let's increase the audience. I can't recall, but I'm pretty sure that that place. Because I, I the reason I say this is. There was this uh, this girl that I went, I went to lunch with this this guy I was working with at the time, this Jamaican guy, and he took me to this roti place, and there were these two girls that were kind of looking at us when we sat, ended up sitting down, blah blah blah. I ended up going up to right up to them and just said, "Hey, why don't you come see me? I'm going to be performing at this place. Why don't you come and see a show there?" And they're like, "Yeah, okay, whatever," rolling their eyes. <laughs> as if it's I said, "I said it's real, but I can't remember if." If you had printed tickets or if it was just a matter of people just showing up and I knew the address and I can't recall, but they ended up, but this girl and her friend ended up coming and they're like, oh my God, you were actually funny. And so that began that sort of dating relationship at the time. So I just used comedy just to, to meet women. That was, that was only my ever goal. <laughs> it was a facilitator. Uh-huh. I looked at it like this, right? You, you get on stage. They, after your set, the hope is that you're funny. Obviously, you're not going up there to bomb and then try to pick up. But you, you go up there and they, you can walk up to anybody in the audience because they already know who you are, right? Yes. You've, you've sort of, you've re- totally removed, broken the ice. Yep. And so now you're completely, you can approach anyone, regardless of what, how it's going to turn out. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a date, but you're guaranteed a conversation. Yeah. I mean, just go up and say, did you like the show? And like you said, be prepared for them to say, Oh man. Yeah. But you, (laughs) (laughs) if you hadn't been on, I would have liked it so much more. Um, Funny enough, I never, I never did use comedy that way. And uh, as a side gig, I've always done magic and you know, I've got close up magic where I'm already in a conversation. A lot of people would flirt with me, but that was always corporate. I never combined magic and comedy. I mean, I did funny magic, but I never combined the two. I did stand up or you hired me and it was only ever corporate as a magician. I never did 
magic on comedy stages or anything like that. But um, so I was always in that intimate setting. Um, I was always very aware that I'm hired professionalism. That's my job. Right. Uh, but with stand up, I don't know. I, I just, it, I never actually dated a single person from my audience. I try to have a joke where I say, you know, and it's, it's actually, this is the weird because it's true. Uh, statistically speaking, more people have intercourse after a comedy show than any other live event, including a rock band. Uh, statistically, it's not the comic, but because it was never me. <laughs> oh, you're, you, you're, you're one of the, I don't know. I think I had an angle on it. Most people, just I've watched comics just burn thinking they're a rock star getting off stage and people still have that sort of dude, you're a comic. You're just a comic. Yeah, we're pretty low on the scale of artists in society. I well yeah. probably back then it was that's I would maybe say that was true because that wasn't necessarily the I guess the the route that a lot of people would take. If you think back, I don't know if you remember some of the amateurs, but oh yeah, back then it was there's all these TV shows that were had lead uh, comedians on them, right? That struggled from the late seventies and mid eighties, and yeah. so you had a lot of people that wanted that were in actors that were taking improv classes at Second City, and they were getting into stand up as a fast yeah. track to acting. Yeah. <laughs> and there were a lot of people that were not funny. Yeah, there were a lot. Matter of fact, on that stage, I had someone who was never funny as a comic and yet is fantastic as an improv teacher and performer. He's done quite well by himself, for himself, uh, just doing that, especially, you know, running courses. But he did the same thing. And there were a number of them that just came out of improv thinking, there's so much more to work with in improv if you're not funny. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it gives you, it gives you, yeah, because yeah, it's you're it's it's kind of storytelling, but the hope is the, that the story is funny, right? And you, every troop has their John Candy, you know, and every troop has their Eugene Levy, and the one, you know, the really brilliant ones. You look at the people who move on, and then they form these incredible troops. Well, there's 50 people in their wake who weren't that funny, you know, but they were they held their own. They knew the rules. Never say no. They knew timing. There's a lot of things they did to, to great talent, but um, you take a lot of those people and put them on a comedy stage, and it's not going to work. It's a different beast entirely. Even if you're really funny at improv, comedy, single lone comedy isn't always going to work for you. But um, And then again, you get the complete exception. So you get a lot of comics who think they can do improv, and they can't because they're too selfish. I, I you know, So that, la that latter one, I, so I tried... I try. You know, I did some of some improv, and I was invited to join an improv group. And the ch challenge was, I felt I knew what was going to get a laugh. I, w I was probably having a very good success rate in terms of you know, I could write jokes, and then after really playing them out of my head, realizing weed them out. Okay, fifty, sixty percent of them, I'm not even going to bother trying. I'll put them on a back burner. Maybe I'll join it with something else, right? And you have all these pads and notes and everything else, but. But I was getting to the point where I knew, as my character developed on stage, what was going to work. And so that produced, I don't want to say a level of arrogance, but a level of, I, I wanted to say, I want to say realistic that would work for me. And so mm -hmm. trying to work this comedy troupe. And so there was, I'm not going to say last names, but there was Adam, Ariana. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was two or three... Uh, other people, which which you'll know, but I can't, I can't I can picture their faces. I can't picture their names. Again, this is going back to ninety five, late ninety five. 
and we we couldn't get along. I was like, that's not funny. That's that that's absolutely not funny. I, you know what? I'll just stick with doing it myself. So so it kind of tried it. Maybe if it was with another set of folks. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it, it, it is a lot about what gels. Although I know, surprisingly, never did improv with me. So I went right to masterclass of Second City, and after telling, after saying that neither one can do the other or other can do the one, uh, there are people who can do both. So I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed stand up more. But I used to do some improv. I used to do a, a blues guy, and I forget the guy I was with. We ended up doing something up near um, what was that chicken restaurant? Oh, the Chicken Pleasant. Deli. Yeah, there was a a place with a great stage right across, and I ran their comedy show, and he ran their improv show, and I was always on the improv show, and I enjoyed it very much. I actually did improv um, with Kenny, last name starts with an R, and a few other people for the first comedy festival in Toronto when it was run by Molson's. That was weird. (laughs) I did stand-up as well, and uh, Ariana was at that show, too. I don't think she was doing improv for this. I'm not sure. But uh, I'm not even sure if she was on stage, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> I don't remember. I'll let that go. <laughs> that was, she was a peach, though. She was, uh, she was quite the character. There, there, was, there were some people, there, there, was this, there was this dichotomy of people, right, in the sense of um, their perspective of how they did on stage. And you had some people that were, I like to look at myself and say, look, you know what? If I don't, I got to the point where it's like, if I, if, if, if I, one girl doesn't approach me tonight, I did crap on stage. Doesn't matter. I don't care if I killed it or whatever. I always related back to, did it produce an opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I looked at it. And there are these other people. So I was hard. I was, I, I would listen to my recordings on the way home with that micro millimeter tape recorder. Yep. And I was like, oh, the timing was off here. Or maybe I added something that wasn't in there before and it worked and I'd write it into the joke. But I was very critical because the failure had nothing to do with anybody else but me. That's, that's, how, that's why I looked at it. I'll go with that. I have to go with that in a way because I was always able to write jokes. And then sometimes I would kill and the next night with the same jokes, the same energy, bomb. It took me a long time to find my confidence. I was actually working with Mitch Hedberg that kind of pushed me over that edge where uh, I don't agree with everything he said that day, but um, hey, he was brilliantly funny. I learned to just not worry about the audience at all. So not, not care about them or care that they're laughing or having a good time, just to completely remove your ego from it, which is funny coming from a guy who suffered from stage fright his entire life. And, and then I just, one day it was just fine. It was just like, yeah kill, don't kill, do well, do, don't do well. And then doing well became consistent because the writing was always there. And in that respect, um, improv was good for me because I would forget there was a crowd in improv. I would just be in the moment in the, in the scene. I would forget there was an audience, but now I mean, even when I do stand up now, well, again, it's been over a year now. I like the lights up. It's a conversation. I sit down at the edge of the stage all the time. I can do an entire set. And by the end go, I didn't do any of my jokes. <laughs> like, oops. I used to work at the Science Center, and I would do their shows. And literally, I would do a plywood show that would last an hour. <laughs> it was just nuts. And every time I would finish, people were like, you should be a stand-up comic, or are you a stand-up comic? And I started to just think of myself as one. Then I went on stage and did just well enough that I felt I could do it again. I look back, and I'm like, I cannot believe I got any form of laughter from the jokes that I wrote for my first time on stage. 
Have you ever looked at the video recordings at Yuck Yucks? Um, a, I never did Yuck Yucks. Oh, I, didn't um, I was never a fan. I was obsessed about the writing, but not as much about how each gig went. And I watched comics go through it, and I watched how brutal they were treated. What do you mean by brutal, like the sink or swim atmosphere? Because that weeded out people yeah. that shouldn't be up there. Okay, yes and no, though, because it would have weeded me out, even if I'd done well. It did weed me out. But then I never had the strength, that kind of strength for comedy. I, I had the strength to bomb one night and go on a, the next night with the same material. I had that strength. I, I didn't know how to deal with people who were pros at yucks telling me how awful I was or how, I don't know. I didn't like the whole scene. I found it very bullish and very negative and depressing. I, th I think, for, I, th I think, you know, what it is, it's also who you bond with. So uh, one person that I bonded with really uh, well was his, I won't say his last name is Gavin. Mm -hmm. And Gavin and I were probably the only people to be kicked out of a comedy club for telling jokes. Beginning of an amateur night, they would have this class or I forget what, they, what the actual term they used for it, where they'd have all the amateurs there and the MC who was a pro would come mm -hmm. and talk to you and share his perspectives and people would put up their hands and ask stupid questions. And uh, how long until I get paid? And you know, <laughs> shut the like stupid, like I mean, really idiotic questions, right? So yeah. And after being there a couple of months, Gavin and I, we were just uh, we were just under our breath, saying, "Oh, that was a great question." Hey, tell us the time you chewed a pack of gum, right? So it's just things like it was just things like we would pick on the rest of the class, and we the couple of times we got kicked out. We said, "Don't come, don't come back till you have to till the time you're supposed to be on stage." <laughs> and we just found that hilarious, right? Because here we are joking around in a comedy class and being removed. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed being a comics comic in the back of the yeah. room as well. I just didn't have the emotional maturity at the time. You know, I didn't have a lot of security in who I was as a person. Funny enough, the person that I'm now dating and madly in love with, I was still reeling over that because that was my one. She was it. And I don't know if I ever, well, obviously I don't think I ever did get past her. So I had a lot of, a lot of things that made me not a good candidate for that kind of social interaction. I was never disliked. I never disliked anyone. I just didn't fit in in that way. I didn't have that kind of uh, thick skin. That's what it is. I had a thick skin for an audience, but not for the comics around me. And yet, funny enough, now um, I'm in contact with a lot of them and have been my entire career. We don't work together. We don't hang in the same circles, but there's a mutual respect. I've hired a bunch of them. Um, and I found out the funniest thing I found out, uh, I did take a small hiatus because when my kid was born, I'm single dad, right? And I couldn't really go on, on the road very much. And that was one thing led to another, and I was off for about a year or so. Uh, just having done corporate, and that's all the comedy I was doing was corporate, and that's never been my favorite thing. But um, so I got back into comedy, could have been a year, could have been two years even, and met some people I'd never met before, and found out I had this reputation, and this is kind of braggish, but of being a, like one of the nicest guys in comedy. I'm like, really? I thought people thought I was a jerk. <laughs> I, I was liked? Who knew? But that's when I was getting older and realizing I was liked. It had nothing to do with liked or not liked. I just didn't know how to take any kind of social rejection 
and probably saw a lot of social rejection when it wasn't there. And I chose the path that was best for me, but I don't knock anyone who chose yuck yucks or the independent clubs or, I mean, I worked at comedy wood for a long time. Um, but I very seldom hung out with uh, the comics from there, except JT Huntley. Do you remember him? The name sounds familiar. JT Huntley. Is he one of the guys that, did he die? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I remember JT. You know, it's funny. JT and I knew each other forever. And oh man, no one made me laugh like him or one made me as funny as I was when I was with him. And one day we're looking at each other. We're like, where the hell are we best friends? <laughs> Literally. I don't know who said it, but one of us said it to the other. We're like, I don't know. We should be. And that was it. We started hanging out all the time and writing and, I booked him for everything that I had, and it was just, you know, outside of, like, the kid and, and, and um, my girlfriend, perhaps the best relationship I ever had in my life, and then, damn it, if he didn't pass away, and I was, I was devastated, but, uh, yeah, you know, he was also a misfit, and, except it hurt him more. In the end, the irony is my being a misfit didn't hurt me as much as I thought it was. I thought it did or could, um, and nor did it give me some kind of defiant strength. I just, in the end, just was fine with it or without it. You know what I mean? It's it's and, it's funny, right? I mean, Ellen had said it a while ago, but I actually said it. I remember this conversation between, oh, I forget his name, Dan and Ariana, and they were... Uh, she partaking in what's now legal substances. <laughs> and Dan was just telling me, I can't remember Dan's last name, but he was just telling me about all the challenges he had. And, I, and then Ariana was going on with her. So I just said, yeah. I said, so you guys are here because of problems. In your life. It's like, it's like, why pay a psychiatrist when you can get paid to tell everyone? And that was, I mean, I said that back in 90 spring of 95, right? I remember that joke. You did that on stage. I think I, I think I think I did. Yeah, I think I did. But I mean, I mean, everyone can think of uh, similar things, right? It's, so when I heard Alan. I was, oh my god! There's, it's funny. You hear some jokes that I mean, so much time has passed, and you hear jokes, and obviously people think of come up with the same type of uh, views of of different things that they find funny. But um, it's interesting to hear jokes like I have that, and then I go back and I go, I've got that on recording. Even Mike Bullard had a couple of jokes when he was on News Talk 1010. And I was like, mother, father, that guy, I, he was the MC when I told one of those jokes at Yuck Yucks. Even Robin Williams stole jokes. A lot of his, half his material came from people that never made it anywhere. Yeah. And him just cutting checks in the back of the room. I don't know if that's true. You know, I believe it is. There, I believe it is. He was certainly not as improv as he came off when he did interviews. He had set stuff and told them to set him up for it. But, you know, there was a time when I actually believed that and didn't like him. And I realized, man, I don't know him. <laughs> you know? I just, to me, it's yeah. the end of the day. Like if, if someone steals something, yeah. right, they still got to pull it off. Being funny, even if you, even if you steal the material, the minute that line's done, you're out of steam unless you actually are funny as well. Yep. So I still think Robin Williams was a ton of talent because even if he stole 10 lines from 10 different comics, he still had to put it together that you, the audience, appreciated, right? So yep. that bought him forgiveness. I also see people who chase fame, get fame, or nominal, uh, 
amount of it, and then it's taken from them. And if that's what you've been chasing your whole life, what's left for you? It's got to be hard. Happiness is hard anyway, isn't it? Just happiness. Well, is happiness hard. should never be it a destination. Be. It's always a byproduct of something else, right? That's isn't it? That's that's yep. You you can't chase. You can't you can't say I'm gonna tomorrow next year I'm gonna be happy. You have to do things not and you still can't be if I do this I'm gonna be happy because I'll be happy. no you have to just you just do gotta do things. things. What are things that period. on average? Yeah, you gotta raise the average <laughs> yep. uh, feeling, not the yeah. spikes, right? Mine is just I want to be calm. I want to be un, I want to be forgiving. I want to be non-judgmental. I want to be my God. Even. Why would you want to be those things? You would think, eh? Um, and I might not be funny anymore because of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your other guest. I'm sorry, I don't remember his initials. Talked about the old foil slash paper bags, and it's it's right. Like you, they were foil, but also paper at the same time. There's like a layer of paper and. Not foil, like tinfoil. They're really hard to explain if you don't remember them. But you could you could open them up from the top. You could rip the top off and eat them like a bag of chips you would today. But you could literally rip the top off. You didn't have to pull the ends. Or you could pull the ends if you wanted to, and it would separate. Or, see, the way that it was is it, they were pinched at the top and pinched at the bottom. So you know when I say pinched, how they seal the yes. plastic bag? Okay. Um, but so you could, you could literally, you could tear the top off. You could grab two sides and kind of pull the crimp apart. But the way the bags were held together is the sides indented and that, so probably they were printed flat. And as you fill them out, those indents on the side pushed out. So you could put volume inside of chips. If you laid this thing on its side, and oh, sorry. Your, when you say side, you mean like the back of the bag? Not the back. Literally the side. Literally the side? Okay. I don't remember. Yeah. I know where you're going. I don't remember this this opportunity yeah. for a bowl. Because they were sort of puckered on each side. And like I said, they were, they were indented, and that's where the space was. So in other okay. words, there was more paper folded inside, and as the bag expanded, that paper pushed out. Well, if you put it on its side and opened up, down the side of the other side facing up and kind of you'd have a bowl and you, I don't know why my, my brother and sister would do that and I just thought it was the coolest thing when I was wow you're easily entertained I was very easily entertained <laughs> I don't know why nobody remembers them that's what kills I me I don't remember it must have, it must have been like a selected few no uh, in certain no, economic circles no, or something to that effect no no that's how all <laughs> chips were sold and so how they were sold across the entire country, Hostess chips sold across the country in these foil kind of bags. You know what? I've got a computer in front of me. I'm going to look it up, and if I find it, I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> I may post it online so everybody can see what foil potato chip bags used to be like. All right. So, so, so going back to that, because you're, you're yeah. three years older than me. You said yeah, you're 53, yeah. right? 53 just turned in. Well, it's turned yeah. in December. What was some of the candy that you did eat that you recall under the age of 10? Well, Hostess potato chips. That's not candy. No, it's not. See, a lot of penny candy because it's funny. You're the same age as my girlfriend. You have the same hips. <laughs> uh, she came into that stage where you would spend your own allowance probably at the same time as you. And you guys 
are literally, I was at the tail end before the recession changed everything overnight almost. So I could take a penny and come with more than one candy. So if I had five cents, I could get a bag of candy. There was still a lot of that. And those sort of went by the wayside slowly, but it happened. Um, Popeye cigarettes. Uh, they're called Spider-Man candy sticks now. Are they spider? Are they not even Popeye anymore? Oh, no. man. Poor Popeye. Nobody knows who Popeye is. He's the sailor man. <laughs> How many times did he have to tell you he's Popeye the sailor man? I love my olive oil because she ain't crude. <laughs> so all you have to do, by the way, is go on Google and Google old hostess foil potato bags. And you'll see what I mean, at least what I mean by them being pinched to the top and the bottom. How do you use Google again? <laughs> Google is my friend. <laughs> I really am racking my brain over, was there anything unique and special when I was a kid that I ate that isn't there today? Or And I can't. Like your gym teacher? <laughs> There's nothing special. My grade four gym teacher made me pee myself. He yelled at me so loud before throwing a basket when he had said, put the basketballs away. You threw a basket? Why didn't you throw the ball instead? Good point. That might be why he yelled at me. That's probably why he yelled at you. <laughs> I am remembering that all wrong. You know, and the only thing I actually thought would be funny to say, I didn't say, because it wouldn't have been funny anyway, because you we were going to say, this is my friend DC. You can call me Marvel. See, that would have been eh, always a comic. Uh, doesn't mean they're good jokes. It's a dad joke. Yep. <laughs> it is a dad joke, isn't it? Isn't it? Thank God you're a dad. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. I can't do this sort of living anymore. Um, now, there are guys and men and women out there just suffering, man. Because of that joke? No, no. Do you have to edit that joke out? <laughs> isn't that an awful joke? Well, I'm, keeping that, I'm keeping that joke in. That's, I'll keep that's it in be, because just acknowledge it's gonna be the highlight. Ignore that I knew it was bad. Because <laughs> 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 bad jokes are fun too, man. Bad jokes are fun. Okay, Ariana, that's good. Oh, oh, and I didn't even go there. You, you went there. I uh, had to go there. All right, buddy, I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, we will talk again outside of this uh, type of medium, but yeah. uh, great to catch up. It's, God, 95. From 95 to, to now, it's that's a hell of a lot of time. <laughs> Isn't it? All right, take care. All right, take care, DC. Thank you, folks. That was the end of another podcast, and we hope to be back real soon. <laughs>